Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log Supplemental. John and Ken play a room at the Rio. The voices of Mission Log hosted a panel at Star Trek Las Vegas 2013, and it was really awesome of them to invite me, except of course for the part where they invited me. They did not. Instead, Star Trek author, interviewer, editor, commentator, producer, and event wrangler Larry Nemechek moderated. And I didn't even get a lousy t-shirt. I've, had to, I've been a guest on more podcasts than I have listened to. Anybody big podcast fans, just to begin with? How are we doing? Okay. The current way of the future. So one of the coolest, uh, a couple of years ago, Rod, Roddenberry decided to get the Roddenberry folks brand into podcasting to do it his way. Do we have anybody that has listened to these guys? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to see how much I have to say versus explain to those. Are, okay. So John Champion and, and Ken Ray... Sit at different ends of the country, right? Yes. And put this show together called Mission Podcast. Mission, Mission Log, Log Mission Podcast. Podcast. I know I would do that. Anyway, we're going to talk about the show, what they do. It's one of the most in-depth things you can get. And it's not just the original series. Your long-term goal is to do every episode in order, every movie, every everything, right? Yes. So we're just going to talk. I'm going to let them talk because I've been talking for so long. Uh, and this fits right into some of the things we were talking about, the thematic issues. So... Um, this is their time to shine, and uh, my iPod to scan, and um, we've got the mics here, so we'll have some Q&A in a minute, but we're going to get some opening comments out of the way first, and uh, we even have a slide. Hey, look hey. at that. It's our very own slide. Cool. So yeah, go ahead and get ready with your questions, because we, we want that to be the, the bulk of this. Ken made a very good point that um, you guys hear us talk every week, but we don't get to hear you talk every week. So if you have questions, comments, concerns, ruminations, please bring them to the mic, and uh, that will be part of a show. That would be fun, yeah. So uh, Mission Log, we started a year ago yesterday. Yesterday. And uh, yeah, one year anniversary. We launched with The Cage, and uh, yesterday we, uh, which one was, uh, The Ultimate Computer, so that means we're two episodes away from the end of season two of the original series. And then it's headlong into Spock's brain. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Headlong. Headlong. Into Spock's, into Spock's brain. brain. How long did you work on that one? Hours. Okay. Hours. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, after season three, we do the animated series. Then we do the first six movies. Then we do Next Gen. And then we don't know. And then we don't know. Yeah. Because we're trying to decide, people keep coming up and saying, oh, you should definitely do Voyager, not Voyager, Deep Space Nine and um, Next Gen as they were broadcast. And then other people come up and say, that's a really bad idea. You shouldn't do that. So we're not sure yet. Yeah. So we got a couple of years, a few years to figure that out. Yeah. But yeah, we will cover the animated series. Half of you are probably like, yay, animated series. Half of you are like, oh, God, I'm going to tune out for 11 weeks. Uh, <laughs> because we're going to double up. It's 22 episodes. And uh, we'll cover two uh, animated episodes in each podcast. So there you have it. Good. Still an hour a week. Still an hour a week. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's, that's where we are. And uh, we wanted Larry here to, uh, to throw us some questions. Come on in, guys. Come on in. There you go. Oh, yes. Please come All in. Right. Please come in. Wait, and I believe 
I believe you have a, a question from the audience already. That's fun. Awesome. Oh. Go ahead, caller. So, congratulations on your one-year anniversary. Um, I, for one, am very excited that you'll be reviewing the animated series. You can watch it, so I don't have to. Um, <laughs> but what I want to yeah. know is how do you guys go about preparing for each episode, and how can you live with yourselves knowing that you have criticized Star Trek in certain, t- no. certain times? <laughs> how can you sleep at night? <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there's really, honestly, truly a difference between criticizing and watching it critically, and as far as how we prepare, John and I never speak. Yeah. Ever. Ever. <laughs> this is the first time I've seen Ken since last since year. Since last year. No, that's actually yeah. true. Yeah. Um, well, if you mean actually how we prep for a show. So I think we pretty much do it the same way. We just watch an episode and just sort of take it in, figure out what's going on. Do we like it? Do we not like it? Then we watch it again and take notes. Then we watch it again and say, like, well, wait a minute, did they really say that? Did they really mean that thing? And then, you know, rewind, and the notes get a little deeper. And then that's where it kind of changes. I'll go do the research on the trivia, the production, the the background, all of that stuff. Uh, We're going through the notes at the archive uh, for Roddenberry Entertainment. Um, So I do my thing. Which, by the way, I'm so damn jealous. Yeah, you should be. getting to do that. You should be. Yes. Yeah. They have a uh, sidebar called, uh, was it Documents? Discovered but, Documents. Discovered Documents, where they yeah. pull stuff. Except I had a page that you were missing. Yes, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Bob yeah. Justman's notes on Sydney Forever. But anyway, yeah. but no, you need to go, to go to the site. If you don't have time to watch, listen to the show, I mean, try to. But even go and see the documents you're pulling out. It's stuff no one's seen. We have memos, in- script notes, um, everything from like uh, notes from the censors at NBC. That'll be coming up pretty soon. Very, very cool stuff. So I do all of that. And then Ken. Um, I actually, my work, most of my work starts after we do the show. There's the editing and the putting it together and all that stuff. So it's, yeah, fun. Yeah, it, it takes anywhere. It involve going to like a really cool vault where lots of really cool stuff is. It involves going to my office and just like <laughs> sitting there and saying, oh, yeah, I remember when we said that like an hour ago. <laughs> right. You know. It takes anywhere from six to 12 hours to do a single episode. Of Mission Log, when you factor in the... Uh, For each of us, which is kind of yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When yeah. you factor in the watching, the note-taking, the editing, the research, all that stuff. So that's why when people ask us, why don't you do two a week? Why don't you do three a week? Well, why don't yeah. you? no. Right. <laughs> no. It's not that we wouldn't love to, but we've got, you know, other stuff we have to do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the network is so down on you guys for, to try to cut your budget back a little bit. I know. It, yeah. it's, it's been rough yeah. with yeah. that. To yeah. fight that off. Right. No, you've only got two sets this week. No, it's... Right. How has it changed from when you first sat down to conceive the show? Now you've had... It's a one year. It's a good time to take stock and have a snapshot and look back. What's yeah. changed? What have you figured out? What's been like the big, the big surprise or the big change since you first conceived it? Well... Since we first conceived it, I mean, there was really just a lot of refining. We actually did our very first recording, which some people have heard. Um, I want to say in March of last year, we, we started doing fake shows and, and talking it over and putting together a clock and all of that about six months before we actually launched. So, honestly, since the first episode that people heard, The Cage, I, not a whole lot has changed. I mean, certainly, John and I actually didn't know each other at all before Rod put us together to do the show. So we've gotten more familiar with each other. Um, but, I mean, we, we really tried to hammer out... We wanted the very first episode to sound as good as it possibly could, so we worked a lot more on it probably than a lot of first podcasts. I know than my other podcasts that I do, I had an idea, I sat down, I did it. 
and he and I spent much longer, and with Rod as well, spent a lot of time trying to figure out exactly what we wanted it to be. The format hasn't really changed a lot since we figured it out, you know, what the segments are going to be, but I think we were constantly playing with that line of how much do we poke fun, how much do we include certain topics, uh, what, what are the wrap-up questions at the end of an episode. Those are the things that we kind of toy with all the time. And, and we kind of figured out where we want it to be, but that's not to say that it won't change again depending on what the subject matter leads us to. What the wave of protest rises up here today. Uh, yes. Says, you want to take a yes. question? Yes. Uh, yes, please. Uh, from Las Vegas, you're on the air. Oh, thank you very much. So first of all, I... Really appreciate the morals, messages, and meanings. I love that portion of the show. It's great. I mean, the overall show is just beautiful and stuff. I, I really enjoy that. And I, I love how the fact that you were trying so hard not to break that timeline. And yet, <laughs> episode by episode, got closer and closer. Yeah. And is, it, is yeah. it at this point kind of like, oh, I think we're just going to have to give up on that. We're like, uh, we're like uh, Kirk with the Prime Directive in the first season. We keep saying... <laughs> You know, you know what we're going to do? We're not going to talk about anything. Okay, well, this one time we'll talk about it, but otherwise, never again. And then I think next week, John actually says, I have elected to ignore the timeline for this. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I, we, you know, we, we were talking to somebody at our table the other day about this, and I, I, I'm, I can sort of kind of justify it this way. If we mention a character, if we say, okay, uh, Daystrom... We're Daystrom! In- <laughs> We're introduced to Dr. Daystrom in The Ultimate Computer. He will become a part of Star Trek later on. His name will be invoked later on. And we, we can kind of make that note to the audience. Be aware of that. It's coming. But what I don't want to do, breaking out of the timeline, is to start giving away plot points. Oh, you know, yeah. I, I don't want to get into the stories. Because when you do that, when you start to overlap and you're trying to... Um, I don't know exactly the right word for it, but you're trying to build an internal consistency before it's even happened. You're trying to build a continuity before those episodes even hit. I, I think it would just get too complex, too complicated. It's more exciting right now to look at the original series and see how far they've come. Because, man, between season one and season two, I thought it, it was season one, season two, season three. And what we found is it's season one... Uh, season two and this box brain and it, you know so it's been a little weird and it, so it's more interesting to draw the connections from the time but if we drop a little hint here and there and I didn't we even say uh, blame Nero on everything you know just blame Nero if you can't fit it together um, but yeah but, but I, I don't want to get into tying the threads together I think it's more interesting when you discover it later on so well, I think I think when you say things break the timeline, it's what we're all thinking about. We're all thinking the same thing. It's not yeah. like you're breaking. We're all having the same thoughts as you are, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I would love to see you guys at the New Media Expo Podcast Awards next year. Ooh. I think you make sure to tell your listeners to vote for you. I think that'd be a great show Thank to you. have up there for the Podcast Awards. So, what would people do if they want to do that? Well, you might want to make an announcement on your site, your Facebook page, and your podcast to talk about when voting is open. I'm not sure it's going to be opening pretty soon on that. And then your listeners vote. And then you go to Vegas at the Real here, beginning of the year, and um, hopefully get your award. And the name of those, again, is what? The Podcast Awards. And it's presented usually at the New Media Expo, which used to be Blog World. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Media Expo. Here you go, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> 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 
You better hurry because money doesn't exist in the 21st century. I know, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And it looks um, like we have another okay. uh, question here. Hi. Uh, thanks for being here again. I, I, uh, I have to say I have not yet taken the time to uh, check out your podcast. That's still on the schedule. My life's changing for the better now for time, so that'll happen. You can catch up in 53 hours. I'll have time. All right. Um, and that's good. Um, and I know last year uh, you addressed this a little bit in, in your talk. Uh, you spoke about secular humanism. But there seems to be evidence, certainly good evidence, that there's a paradigm shift occurring um, in this country, hopefully around the world, um, towards you know, what generates values and where we get values from and how we have to develop that. And again, I haven't been listening to your podcast, but um, I'm just wondering what you can tell us about what uh, your organization and, and what you know in, the, in this genre in general is happening in terms of uh, the promotion of secular humanism you know, for humans to generate their own values and, and, you know, use consequentialist ethics and whatnot, just what's, what's happening in, in your realm and how, how is that being brought into the, into the situation? It's a really good question. And maybe you and I should sit down for a couple hours after this and re- really chat about it. Um, I, I can't speak to what the Roddenberry Foundation is doing right now because that's sort of a separate arm. Um, I, and I... I Obviously, there are other podcasts and, and other interests. Uh, like CFI, I'm, I, I definitely am sort of very interested in their work. Uh, that th- That's sort of part of their mission is yes. to promote secular humanist values. Right. When it comes to our show, when it comes to what we do on Mission Log and what Star Trek does, um, I think we're at kind of a weird place. Now, as we talked about in the talk last year, Gene Roddenberry was a humanist. And later on in his life and in the interview that he did with David Alexander, he basically said, well, I'm an atheist, but I never knew quite how to describe that belief system. I just sort of, I am who I am, and religion played a very, very small part in my childhood, and now I focus on these other things. Um, Star Trek has, at least for right now, kind of a strange relationship with religion, And in what we've looked at so far in the first couple of seasons of Star Trek, the original series, it seems to be kind of a schizophrenic relationship. Um, Who Mourns for Adonais, I think, is such a fascinating TV episode. Put yourself in that position. 1967, NBC, prime time. There is a show telling its audience, we've outgrown God. That's revolutionary. That's amazing, and, and it, it really jars the brain. But then what happens? You have one line that undermines the rest of the episode, yeah. and, and we kind of struggled with that on Mission Log. We have another episode coming up, uh, Bread and Circuses, which will be out in a week, and, and I'm here to tell you, I'm here to sort of spoiler alert this, I'm still struggling with that episode. Ken made a heroic effort to quiz me at the end of that episode because I'm still trying to wrap my mind around what the statement is, what the message is from that episode. I don't, I don't quite have a grasp on it. When you but, get into your documents, when you're doing your document dives, don't you get into the censor notes? Like some of those lines that seem yeah, yeah, like yeah. the odd thing that goes against the thing. It's like the NBC, like Mort Robertson going, no, you have to stick this in. And Yes. 
This is the emergency that, that's broadcast. That's the sensor yeah, from right. the Las Vegas yes. Rio. Yes. No, but don't you, yeah. some of those things are just odd, like stuck in. I mean, wasn't like Gene out of town and one yeah. time and they stuck the line in and, right. and, and had to film it? Every now and then those yeah. things crop up and we have a, a supplemental coming up with Richard Arnold who explains that dynamic on set. He said, you know, in the 60s it was very different. Now the word of the script does not change when you film something. But back then, an actor, a director might have an idea. Oh, sure, here, shoot it that way. And then they shoot it while the boss is out of town. And what is shot is what sticks. The dynamic and the the exploration we have with these humanist ideals, I think, are going to change a lot when we get to, particularly when we get to the motion picture, which I think is a very highly underrated movie, and I definitely am a champion for that movie, um, no pun intended. No pun intended. Uh, and with the next generation. That was a more mature Gene Roddenberry right. who sat down to create that world and had a tighter grasp on the messages of that show, I think. So, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, at least I look beginning. forward to more. Cool, thank you. <laughs> Love your show. Well, hello there. <laughs> um, you guys have the great advantage of all the notes and the Roddenberry archive to learn more things about Star Trek than the average viewer. Is there anything that you guys learned that you were surprised um, that you didn't really think about in terms of the process of TV writing or um, just like how much the scripts change over time and how many different hands are involved in that? We, <laughs> or even if that was me, different I, 60s versus now from what you know about production exactly. now yeah, yeah. or even next-gen era. And were there ever any notes about the roles of women? Like if there was ever any no. inappropriate lines that got changed, things like that. Make mm. it short. Rip. <laughs> <laughs> um, we found some interesting stuff. We haven't found... I, I think what you're asking for is like the smoking gun. And I haven't quite found that yet. What we found is sort of the, the long form of what happens to make the show. And unfortunately, a lot of what, it, what exists right now in the form of scripts are the scripts that were made after the fact. They were the shooting scripts that were then transcribed and sold to the audience through the Lincoln Enterprises. Yeah, yeah, all, yeah, all of that yeah. stuff. So you lose a lot of, of what happened in there. Um, now, one interesting note, and we will bring this up on a supplemental, um, the uh, uh, Private Little War. There are specific notes from the censors saying, Nona, not too sexy here. Nona, not too sexy here. Nona, please make sure this is not a sexy moment. You know, they're really being very specific. And there are interesting notes about, um, less so from the internal memos, but more from the books that we reference, uh, where they will force in more extreme, and this is an old TV trick, you force in more extreme content than you know you'll get away with. And we've seen a few examples of that. So you have wiggle room to come, like, yeah. like bidding or, or having a sale price. That's so you, you can yeah, come yeah, back, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. actually something that uh, Rick Sternbach said earlier in his talk. He said, I think the original Voyager had tail fins, and he said that Heinlein had told him, always give them something to take out. Yeah. And so that's what he did with his you know, designs, and that's the kind of thing you're talking about there, too. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Gonna, and a lot of what you're talking about, people have had a taste of it. God bless him. Stephen Poe, Whitfield, had a lot of this stuff in the original... If you guys have not ever read the original making of Star Trek paperback book that yeah. was in print for a billion years and it's harder to get now, 
but it's out there in the used bookstores in eBay, if nothing else. Probably in the vendor room. Uh, yeah, yeah, probably some <laughs> right. in there. But he has a lot of the bit, you know, and they were, I mean, everything from like, yeah, watch out, watch the open mouth kiss here, yeah. you know, <laughs> right, right. and uh, please have Dr. McCoy, not, not uh, psychologist so-and-so, administer the hypo. We have to have only doctors giving so- Right. Everything, a whole range of stuff. But well, all the, and remember, there, there was yeah. a, a moment with uh, hypnosis yes. that then was kicked out of the script, and that's kind of where we got the Vulcan mind meld. It, it was like, well, we can't have hypnosis uh, for any number of reasons. So interesting little things like that crop up. Um, where and, else and I, do you get your research from, like besides the Roddenberry stuff? Um, obviously, you mentioned the making of Star Trek. Are there any other key books that you would want to recommend to people? Uh, three books. Making of Star Trek, by Stephen Whitfield. Um, Inside Star Trek by Bob Justman. Yes. Excellent book, but, 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 Herb like, Solo. yeah, and Herb Solo, but like everything, you, you have to take it all with a grain of salt. You know, um, Rod is very good at talking about how some people put his father on a pedestal, some people would throw him under the bus. The truth has got to be somewhere in the middle. And I would encourage all of you to listen to our interview with David Gerald because he has some really insightful, <laughs> um, very personal uh, responses to, to his time on Star Trek. Um, so those are also the ethics of Star Trek. Uh, there's the philosophy of Star Trek. And then we, we kind of cull the, the data for trivia. You have to start with like IMDb and Memory Alpha. You start with that to get the basics, but then that's the point of reference where you go out and figure out the other, uh, uh, the, the other topics. And one last question. Sorry to inundate you. Do you guys at all talk about what you're going to say before you say it? Like, Do you know what Ken's thinking on this, or do you just go? At this point, I can tell what's going to set him off. Like he's saying, he's saying, uh, what was the show? Bread and Circuses. Bread he's and saying circuses. that I tried to rail him in, bring him in on Bread and Circuses when we were watching it. And actually, Omega Glory as well. Yeah. When we got to the end of Omega Glory, I I, I laid out exactly what you were going to say, and I don't, and I, I think I pretty much hit it. Um, as far as discussing it, though, no, we try not to. It's this is going to sound terrible, and if he listens to the podcast, he's going to know this. The hardest, the hardest episodes to record are the ones where Rod's like, so you guys are going to talk about this, right? And we're like, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, so then we, talk, we spend like 10 minutes talking about it, and then we get to that part in the show. It's like, oh, yeah, we were talking about that earlier. Right. Too yeah. bad you couldn't have all been there 10 minutes that ago. That was awesome. We were yeah. having we this phone conversation. Record everything. Well, I was, I was going to ask you what's been, the, what's been your, most fa- your favorite shows to do. And and do you have like ratings? I, wait, Can you tell? Do we need to oh, do? Thank you. Yeah. Huh? Do we need to do the? Yeah. The thing? Yeah. Hold, hold that thought. Okay. Hold that. Yeah. We're we're gonna do this by uh, by a show of hands, or or whoever knows the answer to this, you're gonna raise your hand, and, and the first one to raise your hand to get the answer right. That feels like it's not gonna work, but we'll do that. We'll that try way. it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you, you're going so to win. Gonna, you want me to help scan for the first yeah. hand? Would you please? You, you're going to win an incredible prize. Okay, there's only, there's, only one, there's only five of these in the world right now, and this is an autographed Gorn statue from Bobby Clark, courtesy of Roddenberry Entertainment. All right, so, so Ken, Ken knows the trivia question. This is well, for all you listeners. Yeah, this is, this is a Mission Log-specific trivia question. Uh, there is one episode that I have referred to as the bane of my existence. Right there. It was him. <laughs> yes! Come on down! <laughs> I didn't hear the question. I was just looking for the first hand. What did he say? So the, the, the question, what is the episode that is the bane of Ken's existence and the correct answer, this side of paradise? Yeah. And I'm on your side.
What do you mean? It has mint juleps and everything. What do you... Yeah, but they're Georgia, Georgia mint juleps. What's that? <laughs> That's why it's the bane of my existence. Is there a... Um, you know, when you watch an episode, before you guys start doing the, the, the podcast, you probably had an idea of what you thought it was about or the experience you took away from it. And is there... Uh, through the whole thing about doing the podcast and uh, re-watching and taking notes and, getting, and seeing all the production notes... Um, has uh, as you've been doing it, has your opinion changed about any of the episodes, or have you been surprised? Like, oh wow, that's exactly what I thought. Or has there been any time where it's like, oh wow, I was wrong, or I was right about that? And my well, I mean, personally, my favorites are the ones where John says something that I didn't think of, and it sort of changes my mind on it. I mean, I think we both we both had those episodes. I mean, there are some that we come in and we're like, no, this is it, and I won't tell him he's wrong, and he won't tell me that I'm wrong, but I know we're both hanging up going. <laughs> um, I love I love the I love when that's part of the whole thing about not sharing it. We don't want to come in rehearsed. We don't want to come in lockstep. And you know, if he says something that blows me away, or vice versa, that's that's an incredibly fun episode because I mean, we both get something more out of it at that point too. Well, what I meant was, I mean, obviously, before you started, you saw the episodes. So uh, taking your opinions for when you saw them, just as a fan, as opposed to now you're dissecting them. Have your personal opinions changed about any of the episodes, or were you, or were you surprised by going, "Oh wow, I was right on with that," or "I was totally wrong"? Yeah, well, I, I think that um, Ken, I, I'll give you props here for two episodes that really stand out to me, but only two. But well, <laughs> uh, the Corbomite Maneuver and the Omega Glory. So I loved the Corbomite Maneuver. I really did not love the Omega Glory, but in our conversation and, and watching these over and over again and thinking I've kind of got it figured out, right. um, then to hear this alternate point of view where, Ken, you said you, you figured me out, you knew that the flag came out and I sort of tuned out of the Omega Glory, uh, but then you tied it back to the Corbomite Maneuver, that this is a message about making words have meaning and living up to ideals. And, and that really blew me away because it was a message that I didn't get out of that episode because I, I wasn't giving it a fair chance at the end. I still don't love that episode. <laughs> there, but, <laughs> there are two things I'll say about that. I mean, actually, it's not episode-specific, but the Prime Directive. Mm-hmm. I always had the idea of the Prime Directive as being like this really great thing, and I'm actually not so into the actual idea of the Prime Directive anymore as I am the fact that it stands for not doing the easy thing. Right. It's very easy for you know, Kirk to come in and say, well, these people are screwing up, so let's give these guys phasers, and that'll take care of it. Right. They've, got a th- they've got a code that they've decided to live by. I mean, I'm actually, we talked about it, is it Ian? I, uh, Ian Banks, I believe, mm-hmm. has a series of novels called The Culture Novels, and they come across new cultures, and they're like, hey, we've got this other society thing. We can raise up your technology. You can come be part of this collective. Oh, you don't want to be? Cool, go ahead and stay here. They're giving people a choice. Right. Um, the Prime Directive to me doesn't seem like the coolest thing in the world. The coolest thing in the world about the Prime Directive is they're like, all right, this is what we're doing. Right. And we're not, we're not going to screw with this. Well, okay, Kirk, go ahead. But <laughs> the rest of us, we're not going to screw with this. Um, the episode, honestly, that has been most surprising, specific episode, when we did our two you know, pre-episodes that we ended up playing back, mm-hmm. we chose a mock time because we knew it was rich, and then we chose the trouble with tribbles because we thought... Let's do a hard episode. Let's do an episode that's just cute 
and dumb and see if we can pull something out. And there was so much in The Trouble with Tribbles that I did not expect at all that I didn't remember because it was fuzzballs, right? right. It's a cute little, and it's annoying, and there's an 85-minute fight scene in the middle of it. Um, and it turns out, it's, I mean, it was, it was really a really rich episode, and that was, to your, to your specific yeah. question, that was one that blew me away. Oh, cool. All right. Thanks, guys. Cool. Thank well, you. Because I was going to say, what were your, what, so far, what's been your favorite shows? And audience-wise, do you guys have ratings? Can you tell what's the most popular, like, downloaded show? Oh, well, I mean, the Not most really. popular in terms of just raw numbers is The Cage. But we launched yeah. with The Cage. You expect the first episode will always have the highest numbers. Yeah. I, I, I think since we've kind of hit our groove, the, the audience numbers haven't been too oh. far off, you know. Um, it's, it, I think it's more about listener feedback. I mean, there are some yeah. people, and it's fantastic, there are some people who write to us every week. There are some people, I mean, a majority of people never write. But then there'll be some episodes where you'll get a lot of feedback and sometimes it's just angry you don't know what you're talking about sometimes it's you know you really made me think you know in a different way about it yeah and is um, that is that feedback email direct or you have a facebook page or how do you what do you all the above yeah facebook all, all email above. it's there are probably people here who could say it for us <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, facebook skype twitter um email we've never given a snail mail address that's we're probably missing the boat on that yeah true yeah true <laughs> Okay. Yeah, no it's, it's you. You're uh, moderating. Uh, yes, it is true. So um, you, you've kind of got off on here, and some of your pet peeve themes and memes that you. Some of you. Uh, I can't believe I'm doing that. Thank you. Can't blame that on the real broadcast school. Um, yes, <laughs> life school. Uh, so we talked about some of the memes and the themes that you've loved to either get into or love to make fun of or whatever. But what are, what's what are the big? You were talking about one of your your perceptions of you had first season here, second season here, and that's changed and all that. Yeah. What's another, something that's really been the most surprising, I didn't say shocking, but mm-hmm. the most surprising, typical perception all fans who have been around for a few years come into the original series with so far that you've like really turned on your head? Or that you've gotten into, the de- got into the devil in the details and gone, oh. I mean, a couple of them have come up, but anything, yeah. anything else that's really... Which was, um, which was Maslow's hierarchy thing? The, the, the hierarchy of yeah, we, we, hierarchy we, of needs. Yeah, we yeah, end up yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. We end up getting into. Uh, we end up talking more about things like self actualization, which I guess maybe is my fault sometimes. But <laughs> we end up talking about self actualization and things like that that a lot of people don't necessarily associate it with it. With it, that honestly, I didn't associate with it. There's been the characters are more rich than I realized going back to it. I think probably because it's always been around. You know, I mean, you're flipping channels. Oh, there's Star Trek. Oh, I remember this one. I'll watch the rest of it. Going back and actually studying it, I mean, there's, there's just an amazing amount of writing and an amazing amount of depth. The one thing that's kind of, I guess, both good and bad, there's the, whole, there's the whole anthology thing, right? So you could sit down and watch an episode of Star Trek, and if you've never seen one before, and if you never saw one again, you're not stuck in the middle of nowhere. I like the story arc idea, but, I mean, it's, it's, it's neat to see the kind of depth. The one thing that you kind of lose is, okay, well, this week we actually need Bones to be dumb. Yeah, and that's kind of sad because you get some just fantastic, uh, you get some fantastic treatments of every character, but you don't get them consistently. So right. this week we need this character to be stupid, for no for no good well, reason. Well, my my being a McCoy fan, my thing was always this week we need McCoy to be helpless in the fight. Yeah. Yep. This right. week we need McCoy to be able to punch his way out of anything. I mean, you know, that's one thing I've always <laughs> noted. If you watch, yeah, but yeah, but the little uh, thing. The, but those are so. Um, with trying to create a fictional universe, that's what got me about reading the making of Star Trek. Yeah. Was it, oh my God, yes, they, they would fall down, and we love to point out the cannon drops and all that, but 
or when they things were just evolving. Oh, it's space central. No, it's not, you know, just coming along. But the idea that it was the 60s, I mean, they were hand-typing scripts with carbons. I mean, when I stop and think yeah. about just the TV production and the, I mean, the cumongoloid cameras they had and the lighting and all that stuff and their trucks when they'd go on location, just the process, and they were doing this fictional world then without CG, without being able to go down and get instant, you know, whatever things. They didn't even have rub-on letters. You know, they'd have to hand-letter their graphics. I mean, the way they were able to keep that fictional universe as consistent as they did, it was like the uphill... That's why they were all exhausted and burned out. Yeah. Bob Justman and Gene Kuhn and, G- and Gene Roddenberry and all of them, and Dorothy and all. And, and so when you look at it from that way, it is amazing. And you read the memos back and forth and say, oh, look, they're trying to set the 12 or 14 ships out here. Right. And right. that was just phenomenal for the 60s. It had to be, I don't know of anything at the time that was doing... You know Certainly not lost in space. You know what just occurred to me just the second sitting here? Oh, no. Do you think all of the, uh, like the, the, the Commodores and the Ambassadors and all of those people, are, are they stand-ins for the network? <laughs> stand-ins for the what? For the stand-ins network. for the network. Are they stand-ins for the network? Because they're all incompetent and they're all anybody awful. Who's, anybody who's <laughs> not in the trenches who comes in and tells them what to do, I mean, they're just bumbling, awful. They come in, they yell, they, they jeopardize everything. That just informed no, everything that, that we talked leave. about. Yeah. We, yeah, we have some more questions oh, here. Cool. Yes, uh, just a quick one. All fans need to answer who their favorite captain is. I would like to know your two guys' favorite captain. Ooh, favorite captain. Uh, uh, Picard. So far. Probably, probably. <laughs> These will be our last I, two. I, Picard. I would rather serve under Kirk. I would rather hang out with. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yes, we have time for two more questions. Yeah, these are our last two. Yeah, so my question has to do... I sometimes think, like, there's a lot of Star Wars, Star Trek, and I think a lot of... Not, like, a lot of it, but I really like the space scenes in Star Wars with the fighting. Like, it's almost like it's jets. You know, like, there's jets fighting. And I feel like a lot of the time in Star Trek, it seems almost like submarine. Like, I don't know if you've seen, like, Mm -hmm. DOS Boot or anything like that. And I really like... um, Balance of Terror, I think that's the best inner space conflict. And there's almost no shooting in the whole episode. Mm -hmm. And I just wondered if you guys could give your opinions on that. It's expensive. No, I I totally agree. And, and, you know, we got a lot more shooting in Wrath of Khan, but that movie obviously played out that way as well. The Mutara Nebula scene, absolutely. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, that's much. I mean, that's a, it's a lot more fun than just hey, there's a guy, let's shoot him. I mean, that's so much better. Balance of Terror was an amazing episode. That, that was might an be amazing a, episode. Yeah. That's not one of my and favorite. I wouldn't say that's one of my favorite that we did, but yeah. that's one of my yeah. favorite from. And one of the things you have when you have fighters like that, whether it's like the old World War II movies or it's or you know even Galactica or some of the shows that use that, the other guys can be faceless, and it's hard to do ship to ship battles and have you know like the Romulan commander that Mark Lennard did so famously. Yeah. Which, by the, did you know that was his first role he got when he came to L.A.? That's pretty amazing. Was really? Romulan, yeah, he was a New York That's guy cool. and came. That was his first. But you cannot have a faceless enemy when you're doing that kind of combat. You've got to have a character. and You've got to flesh him out. Yeah. yeah. Last question. So Balance of Terror is a very, very good episode. But I have my question for you is related to that. Uh, Sarek, is he a Romulan agent spying on the Vulcans or a Vulcan agent spying on the Romulans? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's incredible that they would recycle guest stars with that frequency. That's... Same ears, yeah, yeah. Um, everybody, please, this is not over. Come to the Roddenberry table and chat with us. We've got an audio set up there, and we want to get your comments because this will all be a part of a supplemental or multiple supplementals. 
So oh, really very cool. So, yeah. Very cool. Thanks for coming out. Thanks. And thank you guys. Now leaving Nerdist.com.